number 20, Ephesians 4 and 20, amen. Um, thank you for the feedback that I'm receiving from several of you, both here in the room and watching online, amen. It encourages me to know that you're getting it, amen. And um, I'm just going to tell you now, um, you want to get this. And what I mean by getting it, right, I mean let, let the Holy Spirit help you and touch you and reveal it to you and strengthen you and, and uh, show you some things maybe that you've never seen before or at least help you see them in a way that you've never seen them before. And um, if that happens for, for everyone watching and listening, then we're going to call it a win-win-win. Amen. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll jump in at verse number 20. It says, But you have not so learned Christ, indeed, if you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, if this is your first time with us in our current uh, series study, um, we've had much to say about this already, and all those, verse, all those sermons are available free of charge, multiple outlets, amen, the website, Facebook, um, we can even get you a hard copy, podcast, all, all of that, so uh, at no charge. And so as they say at uh, uh, Branson with Brother Keith Moore, no charge means no excuse, praise God. But it would probably benefit you to go back and listen to some of those. Uh, even if you have heard them, I've listened to some of them again myself, um, and it's helped me, and uh, I pray that it would help you. But we've had much to say about this, and, and, and we've come to this conclusion. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind is talking about a new self-image. Being renewed in the image that you have of yourself. In other words the way you see yourself uh, coming into alignment, coming into agreement with who you became and who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm hoping that this is going to help all of us. I know it's helping me. Um, this next slide is going to help all of us. And again, um, you know, really begin to, to, to picture and understand and wrap your heart and mind around what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. So for those of you who are uh, listening and not watching, um, the slide simply says at the top three images. And those three images, first of all, your true image, your self-image, your outer image. Okay? Do you understand that humanity is a confused bunch of folk? Amen. And one of the main reasons we're confused is we don't know who we are. We, 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 don't, we don't really know what's true about our own lives, our own selves. Is what the Word says about us true? I mean, we want it to be true, but then we have all these issues in our behavior. This is why so many people question their salvation. It's like, man, if I was saved, why do I still want to do this? If I was really saved, and the devil's right there jumping on that. So we see then three images, your true image, and, and this is your born-again spirit. This, this is who you really are. Your spirit is your true image. Your self-image is the image that you have of yourself in your soul, your soul you know, specifically in your mind. And then your outer image, it corresponds with your body. But when we say body, we don't just mean your individual fleshly body. We're talking about your physical reality. When we say your outer image, we're talking about what you're actually experiencing in life. 
And we define that both as your condition of life and your conduct in life, or we could simplify it even further, your quality of life and your behavior. Your quality of life and your behavior. So again, your true image is who you are in the deepest level of your existence, your spirit. Your self-image is the version of yourself that exists in your mind, which corresponds with your soul. And then your outer image is, um, is, is your physical reality, not just your body, but, but what you're actually experiencing in life, including your quality of life and your behavior, both good and bad behavior. Now, we're going to expound upon these three images much more in the days ahead. But before we go any further into what the Lord has for us this morning, I want to remind you that sin wrecked God's design, which was the glory of the true image reflected by the self-image to the outer image. God's design, I'm talking about how He originally created a human being to function was for the glory of the true image to be reflected by the self-image into and out from the outer image. Who you really are, reflected by who you know you are, think you are, reflected in your individual life reality. Now, again, we'll expand on this in greater detail later, but this is how the Trinity works. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a three yet one God. This is how the Trinity functions. They do not seek their own glory, but reflect the glory of one another. So you are a three yet one being created by a three yet one God. And a three yet one God reflects the glory of the other members in that Trinity. So you were created as a three yet one being with this same uh, uh, inclination towards reflection. So God put his glory in your spirit because God is a spirit. When God originally created Adam, God's spirit and Adam's spirit were joined together. So that the spirit that was in Adam was a spirit that he not only received from God, but was joined with God and received a constant flow of life from God. And that was reflected in who Adam believed he was. Or let me say it a simpler way. How Adam saw himself. He saw himself as a being created in the image and likeness of God that was one with God, that had a spiritual union with God, and that the life of God flowed from God into Adam's spirit. And his soul reflected that into his outward reality. Are you still with me this morning? Praise God. So, amen, sin wrecked that because sin severed the union. I said I was going to talk about this later because I got, I got too many fish to fry this morning, okay? So we're just going to fry them all, praise God, at least some of them, part of them anyway. You remember what, you remember what God asked him? We're going to tie this back in towards the end of the message. You remember what God asked him? He said, he said, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. He was wanting Adam to speak for himself. And he said, he said I hid because I was naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? What, what, is, what is this pivotal moment in the history of our species? This is the first time Adam believed something about himself that did not come from God. Which means this is the first time Adam saw himself, self-image, different from his true image. 
He saw himself different from his true image. Are you seeing this? And then we see that translated into him hiding from God when he used to look forward to God coming around. Now, more on that in the, in the days ahead, maybe even if we get back around to it this morning. So I want you to come to this conclusion. The spirit of your mind is your self-image. We need to be made new again in the way we see ourselves. We need another image of ourselves, a self-image that reflects the new man we have become, the one created by God, as Ephesians 4 says, in true righteousness and holiness. This would be our new true self. Come on now. Our new true self. An image, a self-image that is in harmony with, is, that is a reflection of our new true self. The fundamental issue most born-again people struggle with is they have a new man but are trying to live from an old self-image. As long as the image we have of ourselves reflects the man we were, our conduct and condition of life will reflect the man we were, even though we are not that man any longer. This is why we must be renewed in the spirit of our minds. I defeat my Creator's purpose for making me a new man if I insist on clinging to the inward image of my former self, the old man that only exists in my mind. So, based on multiple scriptures, and again, we learned all this last week, there's so many important things here that I'm not just assuming that you agree with or believe. We have taken a lot of time already to lay the foundation to make these points now that I just, they just roll off my tongue like everybody should know this. But again, we, all of this is based upon multiple scriptures. And so what we learned last week is that our life reality then is a reflection of our self-image. How we see ourselves will be reflected in the way we live our life. So again, your life reality is a reflection of your self-image. I'm not going to try to go through all those verses. There's, there's a lot of them. Okay. I want us to go back now to where we left off last Sunday. And that is in Judges, the sixth chapter. So let's go back over to the Old Testament now. Judges, chapter 6. Praise God, because I want to I show you a case study in all of this. Do you understand what I mean by case study? In other words, it's one thing for us to talk about these principles, but let's see how this really plays out in, in the life of, of, of one of God's people. We've already mentioned Adam. Adam is certainly the, the number one case study. He's the, he's the gold standard of case studies because all of this, of course, began with him and in him and, and of course, Adam and Eve. In John, the sixth chapter... Um, chapter 6 begins with um, Israel being greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel crying out to the Lord. That's in verse 6. And the Bible says, It came to pass that when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. 
Now, these folks had a covenant with God, did they not? And part of that covenant was that no man shall stand before them all the days of their life. Part of that covenant was whoever blessed them would be blessed by God, but whoever cursed them would be dealt with by God. They had a covenant with God, but listen to me now. Did they see themselves as God's chosen people? Did they see themselves as a people that God loved so much that He did all of these things for them? You remember what they said when the earlier generations when God brought them out of slavery in Egypt? They said all God has done is brought us out here in the desert so that we can all die where there's no graves and there's no one left to bury us. Now, why would they think that God had that kind of, uh, of a perspective on them? Why would they think that God saw them that way? They thought God saw them that way because however you see yourself is how you think other people see you. So the problem that they had was a self-image problem. It was the veil, and we'll talk about this in the days ahead, but it was the veil that was on their heart. It was the veil, the, the, the abuse that they endured in Egypt, the, 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 the heartache and, 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 the, and the misery and the cruel bondage, the Bible says, that they endured in Egypt. It formed an image within them of, of being less than. It formed an image within them of, 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 of people who don't matter. It formed an image within them of, of, of people who are anything but God's chosen people. So God brings them out of, of Egypt and his desire is to bring them into the promised land. But he can't ever get his Egypt out of them, right? He, and, and, and so we, say, we talk about that a lot, but when we say getting Egypt out of them, certainly it includes other things, but, but specifically it includes the image of themselves formed while they were, were, were there. And so even if you look... At, at the plagues that came against Egypt, it was, it was Father God trying to, to show them that they were His treasured people. Remember, the, 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 all of Egypt was, was in darkness, but the lights were on in Goshen. Goshen was where God's people... In other words, all of those plagues that came upon the Egyptians, they did not come upon the Israelites. But they never saw themselves as anything but recovering slaves. It formed within them a, 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 this image, and, and I'm, certainly there are exceptions, there are mighty exceptions. But for the most part, this many generations later, we find ourselves in Judges, and you still got a bunch of people who God says are large and in charge, but they see themselves as victims. They see themselves as powerless. They see themselves as pitiful. They see themselves as the whipping boy of the world. And it's not who they are. Let's go to verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree. I, you know, I've read terebinth tree all throughout the Old Testament. Anybody know what a terebinth tree is? You do, you just don't know you do. It's a mighty oak tree. It's a big oak tree. And so, you know, I got some big oak tree. I got a big oak tree in my backyard, right? So it's a good tree to sit under, especially if you're looking for some shade, right? So the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Praise God, I could have been putting those up there, right? The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I'm going to put it back up because I want you to see it. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon jumped up and grabbed his sword and said, Hot diggity dog, let's go take on the Midianites. Is that what he said? No. Gideon said to him, O Lord, if the Lord is with us, if, 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 if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go! In this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I'll be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. I think it's safe to say that Gideon did not see himself as God saw him. How powerful is this covenant that God made with his father Abraham? How enduring is this covenant that God made? You realize that that Abraham took some boys raised in his own house and went and whooped the most powerful king in, in, in his day. Cheddar Leomar. I like to call him Bacon Cheddarly Omar, right? I mean, just because I like to. Amen. Read it. It's in the book of Genesis. That same anointing, that that same empowerment, those same promises, they applied to Gideon as much as they applied to Abraham. But Gideon didn't see it. Was it true? Yes. Did Gideon see himself as as it being true about him? Absolutely not. Now, I know a lot of this is review, but we, we need to review it. Praise God. From time to time at the foundry, I'll ask, I'll ask the men and women, you know, something I've taught on for a couple of weeks. I'll ask them a question, and they'll just look at me like they have no idea what I'm talking about. And so I'll teach it again. Amen. It's that important. Praise God. But here's the reality of it. We didn't learn our ABCs first time we heard them, did we? Okay, so hopefully, you know, repetition um, is important. But we said last week that Gideon had a self-image problem. Meaning what? Meaning he did not see himself as God saw him. He did not, he did not see himself uh, as, as, you know, as God saw him would be the true image of who he, who he was as a descendant of Abraham, as a man who had a blood covenant with God. But Ab- Gideon, rather, had a self-image problem. Now, it didn't stop there because this is what I, I just want to keep going back to this, how this cascades, how, how this spirals downward. Because Gideon's self-image problem led to a self-esteem problem. A self-esteem problem. Self-esteem, think estimation. The estimation that he uh, made of himself. And because his self-image was wrong, his estimation was wrong. And because his estimation was wrong, the value that he placed of him, on himself was wrong. In other words, it, it led to a self-worth problem. Let's go back over them again. He had a self-image problem. The self-image problem led to a self-esteem problem. The self-esteem problem led to a self-worth problem, how he valued himself, which led to a self-confidence problem. 
and I'll mention it again in a moment, but self-confidence does not mean confidence in self. It means confidence in who you are in Christ. Confidence in who God made you to be. Confidence in what He has promised to do for you, in you, and through you. But notice, Gideon had no confidence in that. According to God, Gideon could rise up and destroy Midian as a single man. Does this remind you of anybody? In other words, you think, well, that just God exaggerates. No, God doesn't exaggerate. Let every man be a liar, but let God be true. If God said Gideon could destroy a whole nation of punks and thugs, then he could have destroyed a whole nation of punks and thugs. We've got one man, I know there's others, but there's one man who stands out in my humble opinion, head and shoulders above everybody else in the Old Testament who had the correct self-image. And I'm not saying he didn't have room to work on that, and I'm not saying he didn't have lapses in that, but I'm nobody's judge. But that one man who saw himself, did you just say it to, to her? Who's, who's saying it? David. David. He brought some cheese to his brothers. They're supposed to be at war with the Philistines. But there's a, a, a nasty giant coming down, taunting them, mocking them day and night, cursing Jehovah God. And David walks up, hands out the cheese, and is like, who's this uncircumcised heathen, Malvin? And he said, I, I'll, I'll kill him right now. And they're like, you're just a little boy, and he's a, a, a man of war from his youth. David said, I don't don't care. God delivered a bear into my hand. He delivered a lion into my hand, and there's nothing. Right? See, he's not being arrogant or prideful. He knows. He has an image of himself that aligns with who God says he is. And so he runs out into the battle, and Goliath starts mocking him. Am I a dog that you came with me with a rock and a stick? Can you imagine how loud that idiot giant laughed? I bet he was still laughing when that stone sunk into his forehead. I bet he felt like a terebinth tree. I mean, I bet he went down like a big oak tree, right? But when he mocked and intimidated David, you remember what David said? After I cut your head off, sir, I'm going to kill the entire Philistine army. In other words, God said Gideon could do it as a man. David believed he could do it as a boy. Right? Right? That's the power of self-image. That's the power of who you think you are reflecting who you truly are. And the removal of self-imposed limitations. See, his self-confidence problem led to a self-imposed limitation problem. It led to an I can't problem. I can't because I don't think I can. I don't think I can, right? Because I'm a nobody. So let's just, I want to make sure, amen, we're going forward. Gideon did not have the right image of himself. This caused him to underestimate himself, which caused him to devalue himself which caused him to question himself, which caused him to limit himself. So we said that, a lot of things, but since we're here, we said it's impossible to have a poor self-image and a high self-esteem, right? 
And we worked our way through a whole bunch of those. I'm trying to get caught up here because I got some stuff that I really want to get to this morning. So let's go with this one right here, okay? Your self-worth determines your level of self-confidence. It's impossible to have a low self-worth and a high self-confidence, okay? Now, again, self-confidence does not mean confidence in self. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. That's what the Bible says. I'm not talking about you trusting in yourself. I'm talking about you trusting in the God who has identified who you truly are and what you're truly capable of, of, of accomplishing and doing. Now, let's talk probably for the time that we have remaining. That's okay. We'll get there. We'll get there when we get there. Amen. This verse here, it says that the wicked flee, Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, Gideon was running from an enemy that God had given him victory over. Can we just get that nailed down? He's threshing wheat in a wine press because he's afraid that the Midianites are going to come and steal his food. He's running and hiding from an enemy that God has already given him victory over. Gideon did not see himself as God saw him, and he did not see himself in light of the covenant that he had with God. Again, compare that to a shepherd boy named David. Now, it's a whole lot easier to talk about Gideon than to talk about ourselves. But while we're laying down some baselines, let's talk about the things that we have already been given victory over. Can we do that for a minute? You have been given victory over death. You have been given victory over sin. You have been given victory over sickness, ranging from a runny nose to pancreatic cancer. You've been given victory over poverty. Not just your own poverty. I want you to think about that for a minute. You've been given victory over poverty. Not just as it applies to you and your finances. Jesus went about doing good. Jesus gave so much money to the poor when Judas left to betray him with the, with the money bag, the rest of the disciples assumed that there was another family in need and Judas was going to help them out financially from the coffers of Jesus' ministry. I like this one. You've been given victory over the devil, over every demon, principalities, rulers of, the, of darkness, wickedness in high places, all of, all of them dudes. You've got authority over every one of them. You've got victory over every one of them. How about this? You've been given victory over depression. 
holding up in some wine press trying to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich afraid to go outside. Are you kidding me? You've been given victory over depression. As a matter of fact, you've been given victory over every form of fear. That's just to name a few because here's the reality of it. You've been given victory over everything Jesus has victory over. There is nothing he has victory over that you don't have victory over. There is nothing that he's above that you're beneath. There's nothing that don't obey him that won't obey you. There's nothing that won't listen to him that won't listen to you. Nothing. I'm hollering, excuse me. I heard myself hollering. I heard my echo of my holler. Praise God. I told you I was stoked this morning. You've been given victory over everything Jesus has victory over. Now let's go to a very common verse. A lot of people know this verse. 2 Timothy 1 7. 2 Timothy 1 7. Anybody quote that verse on a regular basis? Anybody teach your children to quote that verse on a regular basis? My little two year old grandson is already familiar with this verse. Jake and Bethany have taught him this verse already. Praise God. Amen. What is it? For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, what's the tie-in here? If you look up this word fear, it doesn't just mean fearfulness. It's, it specifies fearfulness, but it, it also specifies timidity. What does timidity mean? What does it mean to be timid? It means to have low self-confidence. Literally translated, God has not given us a spirit that is timid, fearful, or lacking in self-confidence. Now, if we have a spirit that's timid, fearful, and lacking in self-confidence, it didn't come from God, so where did it come from? See, See, now we're getting somewhere. If it didn't come from God and we have it, then from whence did it cometh? Okay? Again, God has not given... uh, That should be a slide right there. God has not given us a spirit that is timid, fearful, or lacking in self-confidence. So if God did not give us a spirit of timidity that's fearful and lacking in self-confidence, where did we get that from? It's residue from the old man. It's a lingering imprint of him on our minds. A lingering imprint of him on our minds. Now, this word spirit is one of the the more unique words in the New Testament. We tend to hear spirit and we tend to straight up think uh, Holy Spirit or then demonic spirit or something like that. We, We tend to think of a spirit being. This word spirit, pneuma in the Greek, it has multiple meanings, multiple applications. And one of its meanings is that which gives life to something. That which gives life to something. So I use the example of my grandmother. She's in heaven now, right? I talked about when she would get ready for dessert, she would would say, I'm ready for some sweetening. Right? And so to this day, 
She's, she's been in heaven for many years now, but to this day, at times, our family, when we're having a meal together, we get ready for dessert. We'll say, anybody ready for some sweetening? Now, the part I didn't do the other week when I talked a little bit about that is not only would my Mimi say, are you ready for some sweetening? This is what she would do. Everybody watch. This is what she would do. She would put both her, finger, both her hands up in the air, and she would do her fingers like this, and she would look to the side. I don't know why, but that's just what she did. Are you ready for some sweetening? You know, like this, right? And so to this day, to this day, you know, finish up a meal. I, I, you know, we got any sweetening? You know, I would just do that, right? It's the spirit of my Mimi. It's the imprint that she left on my mind, on my thinking, right? And that, and that imprint inside of me still gives life to this on the outside of me. Are you... Are you Are you you seeing this? So the old man that we were, he left an imprint on our mind. And that imprint, that lingering imprint of him in our minds, still gives life to fear inside of us. As a matter of fact, here's the slide. The imprint left by the old man on our self-image continues to give life to fear inside of us. Say, I'm not convinced, Pastor Mark. Well, how about this? We talked about Adam earlier. What was the first thing Adam experienced when his self-image moved away from the image of who God made him to be? Fear. That's the first thing. I heard some people say shame. All all shame is fear-based, right? In other words, he went. He didn't just hide himself from God. He hid himself from Eve, and Eve hid herself from him. First thing he experienced, he became afraid. Became afraid of his creator. Became afraid of his wife. So, I've come to a bottom line conclusion in my life. If if you're not ready to agree with this yet, then that's okay. But I'm just asking you to take it before the Lord, okay? We're talking about the power of self-image. How powerful is self-image? I believe this is true. All fear is rooted in a wrong self-image. All fear is rooted in a wrong self-image. If there is an exclusion, it would be the fear of God, which is a completely different animal than being frightened or afraid. All fear is rooted in a wrong self-image. Now, there's some spinoffs to this. If all fear is rooted in a wrong self-image, this means fear in your life is evidence of a self-image problem in your life. And I believe it is also true then that the greater the fear, the greater the self-image problem. Let me say it another way. The more fear you struggle with in your life is evidence of how little you see yourself the way God sees you. The more fear you have in your life is evidence that your self-image is out of alignment with your true image. Because the more your self-image lines with your true image, fear has nowhere. It, It doesn't even have a crack in a rock to try to sliver into. 
which I believe means this is true. You will never overcome your fear problem until you overcome your self-image problem. Maybe we should have started here this morning. Is fear a problem? It's an absolute problem. It's an absolute problem. There are so many things firing off in my head right now. Praise God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, okay, because we got to build on the rest of this this morning. But how about these verses right here? 1 John 4, 17 and 18. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. We said that verse 17, last, into, into the sermon last Sunday, that verse should be the battle cry for our uh, self-image. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. I mean, just stand to attention in front of your mirror and confess that. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. But notice what is connected to that. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, we've taught exhaustively on this. Many years ago, we bring it up from time to time. But to... Perfect in love means love full circle. It begins with God loving you perfectly. The next step, if it's going to go all the way around the circle, is you letting God love you, then learning to love yourself because he loves you. That's where the key self-image piece comes in, right? But then, if we're going to come all the way back around and it go back to the source of which it came, in other words, we love him because he first loved us. So it's like a if you're a NASCAR fan, the start line and the finish line is the same line. Where it starts is where it ends. So for the love that God has for you to be returned all the way back around to him, are you still with me this morning? Follow it now. I'm drawing it in the air. For it all the way, we're talking about a complete circle. He loves you perfectly. You know he loves people perfectly who are in hell? Because they, they wouldn't receive his love. They wouldn't let him love them. You've got to let him love you. You've got to receive the love that he has for you. Because he loves you, this gives you the capacity to love yourself. Because he's forgiven you, it gives you the capacity to forgive yourself. And so, again, this is where we begin to see ourselves, right, as he sees us. But now let's keep going on around. If we're going to return that love back to him, though, we can't just go from our heart back to his. Because the Bible says, how can you love God who you do not see if you don't love your brother who you do see? So you love God by loving other people. That love is returned back to him that originated in him. It's when you love other people as you love yourself. And then if you're born again, you love other people as God loves them, as Jesus loves them. This is how you get that love all the way back around. And the Bible says when you love other people, we're going to talk about this on Wednesday night, when you love other people as, 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 as Jesus has loved them, that love has come full circle and your heart has become uh, assured. It, it, it has become certain. It has become <clears throat> confident before God. He begins that passage in 1 John. If your heart condemns you, God's bigger than your heart. But my brother, if your heart doesn't condemn you, 
you have confidence towards God. See, What's the difference between David and Gideon? Confidence. Confidence. God didn't make any promises to David that he didn't make to Gideon. There was nothing available to Gideon uh, that was, there was nothing available to David that was not available to Gideon. And there's nothing available to Jesus that's not available to you and me this morning. <clears throat> now, let's go back to it. First, first Tim, second Timothy, I'm sorry, I was getting my first and second. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. <clears throat> Listen to me very carefully, please. I encourage you to memorize this verse, quote this verse, Teach your children this verse. When fear tries to rise up in you, come against that fear with this verse and other verses. If you think I'm saying don't do that, you are not paying even half attention to me. So quoting this verse is important and recommended. But if you quote it all day and continue to see yourself as weak, selfish, and undisciplined, what has really changed? Are you seeing this? All right. Now, let me backfill some of this. this. This verse, praise God, do you, here's the question, do you see yourself as being timid because you are timid? Or are you timid because you see yourself as being timid? It's not a trick question. It, 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 it makes this point, right? We experience fear, so we think we're fearful. We have an image of ourselves as being fearful, which causes us to fear. The more we fear, the more we see ourselves as a fearful person. The more we see ourselves as a fearful person, the more fear we experience outwardly. The more, the more fear we have in our, in our self-image, the image we have of ourselves, spirit, right? He's not given us a spirit of. We're, we're talking now about uh, what, what God has given us, right? He did not give us the spirit of, of timid, uh, being timid, uh, lack of confidence, fearfulness. That's not the spirit he gave us. We've already identified where that spirit came from. Are you with me? So if he didn't give us that spirit, what kind of spirit did he give us? He gave us a spirit of love, power, power, I'm sorry, get it right, power, love, and a sound mind. Now, if you, if you do your uh, homework, you will find that sound mind literally means self-disciplined. It means self-controlled. Exactly why sometimes the Bible translates words the way they translated them, I'm not exactly sure, amen? But again, that's not what this word means. You can look at a lot of translations after the King James and New King James, and you will see that they accurately translate this as God has given, has given us a spirit of power. He's given us a spirit of love, and He's given us a spirit of self-discipline, uh, uh, of self-control. So here's my, I got lots of questions this morning, okay? Do you see yourself as powerful? 
Gideon didn't. David did. Do you see yourself as powerful? See, God's saying, I've given you a spirit of power. and We're seeing ourselves as a, as a, as a weakling. You fill in your own way there. Praise God. Amen. That was a joke. It's okay. All right. That's the 90-pound weakling. All right. Amen. Do you see yourself as loving? Are you ready? Do you see yourself as a self-disciplined person? Come on now. Do you see yourself as a self-disciplined person? See, if you're like me and sometimes you struggle in the area of self-control or self-discipline, could it be that you struggle in that outwardly because you don't see yourself as that inwardly? Y'all acting like y'all done for I am. Praise God. Or are you just thinking? There's a lot of thinking in it, Brother Michael. It's changing my life. I'm telling you right now, it's changing my life. Now, this isn't just imagine you're powerful and you'll be powerful, some kind of psychobabble. No, no. The creator of heaven and earth has put his power in you. He has made you powerful. He's put himself in you. He gave you a spirit of power. One that can do all things. Low self-confidence, right? Self-imposed limitations. How about, how about this? We're going to add to our morning confessions, okay? <clears throat> I am powerful, I am loving, and I am self-disciplined. That's who I am. That's who he made me. My God created me a self-disciplined man. He created me with the ability to live my life in self-control. Donuts don't own me. Laziness don't own me. The lust of my flesh don't own me. Are you hearing me? Because I'm a, I'm a self-disciplined man. I rise early with the Word of God in my mouth. I look throughout my day for somebody to love in his name. Are you hearing me? And I have the power to overcome any work of the devil. Amen. That's, who I, that's, that's who we are. Again, quote the verse. But I know people have quoted this verse for 50 years and they're still more afraid today than they were the first time they ever heard the verse. Because they've never let the verse change the image that they have of themselves. They've never realized that God didn't give them that spirit of fear. It's residue lingering from that old man. And as long as that old man's image is still imprinted on our minds, he will give life to fear in our lives. But when we, through the Spirit of God and the Word of God, kill the old man who only exists in our minds and allow the Holy Spirit to form within us the image of Jesus Himself, through perfect love will cast every ounce and scrap of fear out of our lives. 
is God. Come on, singers, musicians. Amen. Listen now, we got we got so much good stuff. I, as much as I'm enjoying preaching these sermons, it's it's like remember when you was a kid that you had to eat all your green beans and English peas before you got to the dessert. Man, the dessert's coming. Okay, I hope you're enjoying these meat and taters. All right, but dessert's coming because the Bible has much to say about this. Let me give you an example. Colossians 3 says this, this renewal of the new man is renewed in the image of him who created him. What does that mean? It means Jesus is the template for our new self-image. And the more you look in a mirror, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and see him staring back at you, the more you're going to be transformed in your life reality, your outer image, into that same image. The Bible says, how about this one? We bore the image of the earthly man long enough. It's high time that we bear the image of the heavenly man. Praise God. I could go on and on here. Now, Here is where all of this translates into a major problem in our lives. Your self-confidence is determined by your self-worth, which is determined by your self-esteem, which is determined by your self-image. Poor or incorrect self-image leads to low self-esteem. Low self-esteem leads to grossly underestimating your worth. Believing and feeling you are unworthy and not very likable leads to a lack of confidence in your ability it is impossible to have low self-confidence and function in the potential you possess as the offspring of God as long as Gideon saw himself as a nobody he could not accomplish what God had for him to accomplish Gideon was living in fear and poverty and was hiding from an enemy he had been given victory over all because he had the wrong image of himself now we ended here last week why don't you stand with me praise God we ended here last week can y'all hear me okay back there okay we ended here last week all right I'm just going to read it you can read along with me okay Jesus has made Jesus has made you new but how big of a difference will it make as long as you cling to the inward image of your former self Jesus has made you righteous but what has really changed if you still see yourself as a sinner Jesus has made you free but how can you enjoy freedom in your life reality if you still think of yourself as an addict and a slave to sin Jesus has made you a powerful force for himself and his father's kingdom but what impact will that have if you continue to believe you're a weakling and a nobody with nothing to offer Jesus has given you unimaginable blessings and wealth but what meaningful difference will you experience if your opinion of yourself is poor, pitiful, and unworthy? Wow. You remember the three images? True image, self-image, outer image. All right. We'll jump back in here on Sunday morning, but let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives this morning. I thank you, Father, that we are hearing your truth, Father, and we're hearing it in a fresh way.
Because, Father, you make all things new. And, Father, even ways to present ancient and timeless truth, Father, you are constantly giving us new ways to say it so that people can hear it and receive it. And, Lord, for these truths to impact our hearts and in our, in our lives. And so, Father, I thank you that we are awakening. <laughs> We're waking up, Father. We're waking up to righteousness. We're waking up to holiness and godliness. But, Father, we're also waking up to power and we're waking up to the, to the love and the capacity that we have, Lord, to, to love people well, to, to love people free, to love people into salvation, to love people into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Father, because you have given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit, Father, a spirit of discipline, self-discipline, self-control, sound-mindedness, Lord. Thank you, Father, that for some this morning, the grip of fear has been dealt the blow of death in their lives. Thank you, Father, that the grip of fear has been put on life support, Lord. Ah, Jesus, you've given us the answers. You're showing us this morning. You're teaching us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's, uh, let's stand at attention. Let's put our right hand over our hearts. Praise God. Repeat after me. As he is, so am I in this world. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. I have the same power he had. To make a difference in other people's lives. I have the same love he has to make a difference in other people's lives. I have the same self-control that he has to see a difference in my life and to make a difference in other people's lives. To make a mark. On my generation. Come on now. To make a mark. On my generation. That the devil. Cannot erase. In Jesus name. Amen. Let's sing together this morning. Whatever they have prepared. If you, if you would like prayer this morning. Amen. Not just me. There's a whole lot of folks. In this building that see themselves. As somebody who can lay their hands on the sick. And the sick recover. Come on now. That's what Jesus said was true about you. Right? Amen. So if that's you, you come on, but let's sing and worship for a moment before we're dismissed. Praise God.